The Buffy Virgin podcast is sponsored by horror comics cartoonist Dennis St. John, creator of the weird Lovecraftian horror graphic novel Amelia, which you can order from DennisComics.com. While Dennis is a regular guest on the podcast, we sometimes forget to talk about all the cool projects he's working on, but that is no more. Dennis St. John is now on Patreon, and for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to his sketchbooks, monster drawings, Buffy the Vampire Slayer monster drawings, as well as updates on his convention appearances and comic book progress reports. Now that's for a dollar for $5 a month to get access to the Dennis St. John Monster Club, which gives you access to work-in-progress comic pages, as well as uh, some thumbnails. Very cool stuff. And as somebody like myself who's just interested in uh, comics and getting started as an artist, I find this behind-the-scenes stuff very interesting. Dennis shows his process from outline to final ink. So to become a patron of Dennis St. John and to join the Monster Club, you go to patreon.com slash Dennis St. John. That's D-N-I-S-S-T-J-O-H-N. Or to just buy horror comics, because you find becoming a patron of the graphic arts distasteful in some way, you go to DennisComics.com, D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X, so comics with an X because it's cool, and you can pick up a copy of Amelia or The Loop Guru or any of his other horror comic books. In every generation, there is a virgin. He alone will watch the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness for the first time at least once a week. I am a Buffy virgin. Hey, everybody, and uh, welcome to a new episode of Buffy Virgin. Uh, my name's John Landis, and we have with us Michael Poli, a for real Buffy virgin who hasn't seen. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, except for all the episodes up to season three, episode one. Anne. Hello. Say hi, Mike. Great to be here. So excited. I'm, I'm so happy to lose my virginity on this show. And we also have uh, the rest of our rogues gallery of high school buddies. We have Travis. Hello there. And we have Dennis, the amazing uh, horror cartoonist. Uh, thank you for having me on. And you're doing a great job uh, introing, John. Thanks. This is a new thing we're trying that is no way filling me with nervous energy. So uh, what we're going to be doing is uh, we're going to start off with a summary of the episode by Travis. You got that uh, locked and loaded, Travis? Yes. All right, fire away. It is a dark and scary night when a fearsome vampire climbs out of his uneternal resting place in Sunnydale. Normally, he would be confronted by the fearsome vampire slayer, but he jumps and leaps over the Scooby, Scooby gang without any trouble. Tomorrow, it seems, is the first day of school, and Willow's excited for homework, Xander's excited to see Cordelia, and Oz needs to get a calendar. Seriously, man. Buffy is still not back in Sunnydale, but is in the city that never sleeps, Los Angeles, and she is having nightmares of Angel or Angels or whatever he is called. She then shows up to work and is sexually harassed. Fun. She then promises a pie for Lily Chanterelle and bails on that promise, unfortunately. We come back to Sunnydale. Giles and Willow discuss battle tactics, or lack thereof, from the previous night. It turns out that Oz didn't actually graduate, and Xander displays a lack of knowledge of the definition of what geeky actually means. Now back to Los Angeles. Buffy is walking, alone, wrapped up in her own head, when Willow runs her down and invites her to a rave. But this is just too much for our heroine, although she risks her life to save a stranger who ominously walks into the street after proclaiming, I am no one. Back to Sunnydale. Willow and Xander are hanging out the bronze, depressed. Now back to Los Angeles. Buffy and Lily start looking for Ricky, who has disappeared. First they go to the blood bank, but that is a bust. Then Buffy goes to an abandoned warehouse and finds the old man she saved yesterday, and he has the same tattoo as Ricky. 
Fortunately, he has committed suicide by this point. Buffy finds Lily, and they fight, and Lily heads out into the night alone to still find Ricky, not believing what Buffy has told her. She runs into Ken, the creepy guy from Family Home, who invites her back to his place because he claims that's where Ricky is. Unfortunately, Ken is not what he appears, and he is a demon who then imprisons Buffy and Lily as slaves in this demon dimension. However, they will to escape and fight their captures, actually killing Ken. However, as soon as they escape back to Earth, the portal becomes closed and turns to stone. Buffy decides to go home and gives her apartment and job to Lily, who also takes her name as well. Buffy softly knocks on her mother's door and embraced by Joyce, and the credits roll. All right, right. so we're going to jump into our noticings for this episode. Uh, First off... Are we going to do quotes, lines? Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, of course. We have our great lines, which I am going to demand as the host that we all read in the character's voice. Uh, I believe these first couple here are from Travis, is that right? Uh, No. That's for me. Oh, I see, okay. Uh, If we can focus, keep discipline, and not have quite so many mysterious deaths... Sunnydale's going to rule! Your Larry is excellent, Dennis. Which I, I feel like that's also a reference to Sandy Miss High School Football Rules! <laughs> yeah, uh, Larry, and then I... Larry's yeah. Uh, um, personality transplant seems to have worn off on that line, I noticed. He's, he doesn't seem to be gay Larry anymore. He seems to be back to being straight Larry. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's still got a... He's still got a... Show that persona for the football team, right? Yeah, that may be, yeah. Um, and I also like the the Cordelia line. Who's he going to meet in Sunnydale but monsters and stuff? But then again, he's always been attracted to monsters. It's a great so moment. Like I, I could both relate. I could relate to that line a little. My favorite was when uh, Ken, uh, the monster, he says, you've got guts. I'd like to slice you open and play with them. Uh, that mm-hmm. was a very good villain line. Yeah, he ad- he admires her, her intestinal fortitude. Any other great lines, fellas? Uh, I wish it was a complete line, but I kind of like how how dumb Oz's like explanation is for like why he didn't uh, why he's repeating school. Well, it's a sort of funny story. Remember when I didn't graduate? Remember when I didn't go? <laughs> Oh, no, no, we'll do the line. You, you do your, and I'll, I'll do Willow's part. Okay. So say, say the line again. Well, I, you know, I had a lot of incompletes. But that's for summer. That's what summer school was for. Well, you remember when I didn't go? Wow, wow, wow. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right. And uh, right off the bat, speaking of Oz in our noticings, Travis noticed that Oz has a large stake. They all have these enormous wooden stakes, like comically large compared to Mr. Pointy or even the other stakes we saw from last season. I mean, they look. I feel like season one had some really fat stakes, and then they got tighter. Uh, maybe the the group isn't whittling isn't as good at whittling as Buffy was. I think it's probably like what happens when you put somebody who's an amateur in, in charge of some professional thing. They 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 just kind of do what they think looks right. <laughs> so they're like, we have no idea if, if these stakes are really up to snuff. <laughs> it's funny. It's comical. 
Dennis, what's this thing you're pointing out about Oz's shirt? Oh, it's it's a cool shirt. It's like got a peep show logo. It's like for a peep show. I oh, saw, not- it's a it's a cool hipster shirt. I okay. I would wear that shirt. I would enjoy it. I thought maybe it was Peep Show the comic when you put that down, but no. Oh no. It's and, like for uh, like a Yeah. Spe- new, speaking new Buffy font. Yes. New opening logos. Every time I watch I rewatch this show, I'm always surprised at how long it takes to get to like the Buffy font. Mm-hmm. Like it always feels so weird to watch. That's two full seasons without this correct font. Did you notice it, Mike? So this is the correct font? Okay, I guess I don't have a sense of what's right. Uh, just well, how do you feel about it? It feels fine. I don't know. It's a not. It's an irrelevant detail <laughs> to me at this point, but I'm glad it makes what? me feel complete. You don't have the uh, emotional connection to the font that we all have as, as uh, longstanding Buffy fans? Uh, nope. I try to have as few conversations about fonts as possible, but I can't help it. Really? Yeah, we live different worlds, man. I have like 10 font conversations a week, probably. To me, it looks like Giles is younger in this episode than he was last season. I think he just has like a spiffy new haircut. You don't think they shot this season out of sequence? (laughs) They could have shot this first and then went back and shot season one and two. (laughs) That would be a weird concept. (laughs) I mean, we're not even talking about the unshot pilot. I mean, we're not even going there. Or the un... Unaired pilot. Unaired pilot. But don't you like a show shot out of sequence where they shoot the last season first with a younger <laughs> cast, and then they shoot subsequent seasons with older cast members as people age? Kind of like Boyhood, <laughs> but like more. In reverse, yeah. In, I mean, I, by the time they get to season one, they're like, we made some really big mistakes, but we can't go back and fix them. There's a... There's supposed to be a movie that where they that Lars von Trier is working on where he shoots one scene every year and Udo Kier is in it, but it's been Ooh. like it's like it's already like a 15 year sequence already, something like that. So look out, look out for that whenever they all die. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, It'd be funny if a, if a new show shot a pilot and a, and a, and a last episode. That's what they should do. Is if you if you you know shooting a pilot, you should also shoot the last episode at the same time. It'd be crazy. First so time. Dennis, you notice some uh, things about the uh, the different settings in this episode, right? L- this weird LA slum versus Sunnydale. You want to talk yeah, about that? Yeah, because we bit? go we go back and forth a lot between the LA scenes and Sunnydale, and um, I mean both are dealing with monsters and stuff, but the LA feels like such a more gritty part of the real world and it really kind of juxtaposes what a magical place sunnydale is like what a set it is i mean i know everything is shot on sets basically i think there are some alley scenes that are real but like la feels real and sunnydale doesn't Um, oh i totally disagree i feel like uh sunnydale feels way more like a real suburb than this la feels like a real urban environment it really feels like the back lot like drug PSA version of <laughs> of like an yeah. urban environment. Like, well, I know they were shooting on the streets of LA for some cover shots and stuff. Um, although I think there's a weird mix of like probably catching some like real homeless youths and then actor homeless youths together. <laughs> uh, LA feels like an '80s Aerosmith music video. I don't think there's a lot. <laughs> of like depth to the LA, but I agree that it's like, it's funny to see the gritty world of LA versus Sunnydale, but it, 
I guess, John, you, you're right about, I, I agree with the reality. It doesn't feel real. Uh, it, it feels like an exaggerated world, exaggerated bad world, but it's not that bad. But then I mean, it's it might, kind of that bad. <laughs> it might also be like an East Coast, West Coast thing. It's like living in Philly, the standard for like how dirty a city can be is pretty high in my mind. So like, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, LA in general is just cleaner, even the, maybe yeah. this, the rundown parts of it. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I think The Wire has probably displaced everybody's sense of what a terrible city can look like on television. So, like, this does feel cleaned up by comparison. And uh, as part of that, the uh, Dennis, you want to say some stuff about the restaurant that Buffy ends up working in? Uh, it's just no Double R Diner. Um, I mean, not that this show owes too much to Twin Peaks compared to, like, X-Files, but I just can't, in my head, see, like, a diner scene from a TV show and not think about Twin Peaks. Um yeah, I mean, it's, she gets sexually harassed. It's a gross work environment. Um, yeah. I don't know if we have much more to say. Was it, were either of you disappointed that she promised pie to Lily and Ricky and <laughs> left? Yeah, <laughs> that bothered me a little. <laughs> they, she couldn't they, have taken... <laughs> they obviously don't have enough money for pie. They've got like, what is that, yeah. like 98 cents? Lily and Ricky are so sad. They're the saddest couple. It's like, like Lily's just from a sad universe that's so fucked up. I mean, the Sunset Club. So also, Travis, when we watched the Sunset Club episode, you were like, you know, um, what's your name? What was your name at the time? Chanterelle. Will return in Angel, but you had forgotten about this episode. So I just wanted to point that out. Oh, I... I, um, She's... She has more of a recurring role in Angel than this episode. But yeah, no, no. I, I remembered she was still in this episode. Trust me on that. Is, is she just as pathetic on Angel? It's like she relying on Angel to stay alive or she's like constantly <laughs> victimized and Angel saves her. Is that kind of her role? Um, it's complicated. Uh, it's great though. She is a, I mean, her episode in Angel is, uh, it's amazing. It's so- Does she go by Anne in Angel? Yeah. Yep, she goes by Anne in Angel. It's amazing. She'll, so she's she keeps that. Shalilin. <clears throat> I actually so, don't remember her having that lily tattoo in Angel, but I don't, I'm not sure they should do that. Um, but I wanted to get to the um, the time paradox. Actually, I'm getting out of time or out of place. But I think like you had a question about the time paradox with the demon dimension. Oh, we'll get there. That's like a bit later. Yeah. I wanted to get um, it's okay. Uh, I wanted to shout out, um, I'm not sure I'm saying his name right, but uh, Carlos Chicot, the guy who plays Ken, is uh, a favorite character actor of mine. Uh, he is in the movie Walking and Talking. No, Kicking and Screaming. He's in that movie. And, Walking uh, and Talking, that's about the babies, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think the same person made me watch those movies, but... Shortwave Radio. Uh, he's in the, he's in some movie from the 90s that was great, and also he's in like three other Joss Whedon shows. And he's, um, he's actually he's actually amazing. He's in a remake of he's on a psych he's on an episode of he's in two episodes of Psych. I know you guys don't watch that, but he's he's great in both episodes. And he actually stars in a remake of it's the only time I've ever seen a, a TV show that has a remake of an of an episode from the first season in a in a TV show. So the first season of Psych they had a they had an episode, and then eighth season. They remade that season one episode with new with different actors, which is crazy. Yeah, he's amazing. Cool. 
So back in uh, back in Sunnydale, um, one of the first things I noticed about the first day of school is that the library is full of people. It seems like there's some kind of event going on. <laughs> it's but... the only time people pick up books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Giles, Giles and actually Willow, doing his job. But they don't like really try to keep things on the download. They just pretty much have their <laughs> paranormal conversation in front of everyone anyway, as though they're not there. It's it's so far it's so far too late in this world for them to be covering up like they, I mean <laughs> right? Like this is season three. They've been slaying vampires on school premises for a whole two years. Like the gig is blown, man. <laughs> It's weird Snyder's not in this episode with all the back-to-school stuff. He'll return. He'll be here in season three. You know it. He was on what? He was on Deep Space Nine, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was busy. He's he's busy on the promenade. He was in outer space. (laughs) Odo probably had him locked up this episode. Uh, At the Bronze, we get a really good... uh, 90s generic band um this is a band called belly love which is great given that the the singer has the very you know classic uh 90s midriff look the band is actually called belly love uh i looked them up belly love is still around they uh play shows at least once a year uh there's like a um bob dylan tribute show that they play every year um and their last cd came out in 2007 so if you're a belly love fan you can still get some belly love in i guess now, isn't that kind of unfair for them to call themselves Belly Love when there's another better band called Belly and like they're just they're just so close you might accidentally buy. That's like if you just add a word to a band like if I was just Weezerful and you're like just like, "Oh, is this a Weezer? Oh, let me check it out." Like yeah. that's that's a great way to piggyback on another band's success. Yeah, have you heard about my new band, The Super Beatles? That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, better than The Shitty Beatles. Uh yeah, I uh, started a band called Toadies Roadies. Um, we actually <laughs> do not cover any Toadies songs. Didn't we talk about a band that like had a name similar to Nickelback? Right? Or didn't we have... Was we it had, just Nickel, right? Was yeah. it just Nickel? We talked about this unfortunate band. <laughs> <laughs> will never come up in a Google search. <laughs> they're from like a season one. Or, I think they were from a season one episode, right? Or season two, I forget. Yeah, we had... I have to remember which one this was, but yeah, there was like a band called Nickel. Well, I think they did a good job of doing a thematically appropriate song that emphasized how far away uh, that Buffy has run. It was it was fun. Yep, and it wasn't Sarah McLachlan bringing us the sadness this up. I actually I should have said one of my favorite quotes was from Xander when he goes, "Welcome to depressing night at the Bronze." <laughs> <laughs> That's a good yeah. one. He's kind of heckling the band, which is weird. Yeah. I, I still don't get why he and Cordelia, you know, like, oh, they were away on summer break and, you know, then they couldn't connect. But that makes no sense. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Like, that, I, it seems like it should be a relatable thing. Like, it seems like a thing that would happen in high school relationships. But for that to happen, high school relationships would have to last more than three months. So I don't know. And then, and then he's like, oh, I'm thinking about Cordelia. What a geek. It's like, that's not what getting a geek is. In <laughs> <laughs> no sense. Yeah, Agree. that's a good point. But it's hard to go back to 90s high school. Like, if you go on a trip, you're not really reachable unless you really work at it. And, like, neither Xander nor Cordelia, like, really work at that relationship. It seems like it's, it's just like, ah, we're magnets. We can't help it. And, like, 
we're in weird situations together. I feel like that could totally happen. I, it didn't strike me as unbelievable. And I, I like the, the weirdness of Xander and Cordelia trying to be cool. And like, it was, it was cute. I mean, was it realistic? I think the absence was more realistic in the nineties. Now we're also glued to each other through every device, but I remember feeling that like Travis has that legendary time when I went to Turkey <laughs> I was gone ah, for three weeks. Let's tell yeah, this story again. And it destroyed the world. People, you don't even understand. I didn't even bring that up. So, I can tell that story, but I, I, I've already. I told think I think our podcast, podcast listeners know about this story. Yeah, I mean, I think it's at least the third time that the turkey trip has come up. For anyone listening to the podcast, you can tweet at Michael Poli or the Buffy Virgin. Twitter. So just just to point out in this like analogy, we're comparing like. Xander and Cornelia's romance to Travis and Mike's middle school friendship. Oh, totally. Yeah. Right? So wait, so that makes Mike, that makes you Cordelia. Obviously. Oh, dude, you're yeah. totally Cordelia. Well, he looks just like you're Xander. You're such a Cordelia. <laughs> just. <laughs> Mike, Mike was the main girl in our group. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I think we were all pretty mean. <laughs> There's a lot of meanness going around. It's cool. Um, yeah. Speaking of how uh, our relationships and lives would be different if we had uh, grown up in the world of cell phones, Travis. Oh yeah, oh, there's this whole there's this whole great moment um, with Buffy and Lily, and uh, where she finds you know the old man and with the with the uh, tattoo that says Lily on it, and I can just see it now if it was made in right now to just take her iPhone out and snap a picture, and then bring it back to to Lily as proof, but. Back in the, I guess, back in the late '90s, you know, you like people were just so skeptical, or you know, you yeah. Had, well, I, I also think like Lily had every right to doubt this story about an old man being dead, being yeah. her boyfriend. Like, and Buffy's like, "Get over it. It's a fact." Because obviously, it's about her dealing with Angel, right? Because like, right. it's. But like, Lily is totally right to be like, "I think you have the wrong dude. That's an old man you're describing." Ricky was like my age. <laughs> she had, he had the tattoo. Like that was the, I, I don't know. It's one of those things that's interesting. Cause like, obviously their stories are paralleled and Buffy, like not dealing with angel comes out with her yelling for Lily to deal with Ricky. Right. And like, that's the emotional truth of the scene. But like Buffy's being really uncool about like breaking the news to her friend about her like boyfriend being an, a dead old man. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, Buffy's harsh, but to be fair, Buffy's not in an emotionally good place. I think she delivers the news pretty okay for not really knowing Lily and being kind of harassed by Lily to do stuff for her. Um, I mean, I, I personally would have liked for the first couple episodes of season three for Buffy to stayed in L.A. longer and done her own thing. Um, it feels like this Lily harassing her. I think there's a lot of fanfic a alternative universe stuff where Buffy never comes back from L.A. Well, yeah, I'm not saying never come back. I'm just saying, but I, I can see where you know Buffy would be like, you know, if I'm if I'm going to be in LA, all I'm is getting harassed by random people. I'm just going to go back home. Yeah, and it's the same people from Sunnydale. It's yeah, it's like it's the same shit, different place. Like, all right, I don't, might as well go back home. Hey, are you that girl? Hey, I, yeah, I was uh, <laughs> I was running in a you know vampire cult for a little while. <laughs> Is that how you guys interpret like what emotionally happens with Buffy in this episode? That she's like, I'm still dealing with being the Slayer. I might as well go back to LA or back to Sunnydale. Is that the emotional arc you interpret? Oh, yeah, just might as well. Like, 
Let, I'll let Mike answer that. First. Yeah. Maybe that's a themes and deeper stuff question. I was just, the, the way you described these things, I was like, that's not how I emotionally interpret this at all. Uh, just, just answer it now. What do you think, Mike? I mean, it does feel a little bit like that. Like Lily, I, I was, would want, not want to spend much time with Lily and Ricky in that world. Yeah. And like, yeah, the Ken guy is such a weird creep. And like that, I mean, it seems like Buffy's living pretty close to the streets. If those are her, like her about to be her friends in that world, like it's pretty lonely and sad. I, I just think that I personally wanted her to be in LA longer. I was shocked that she came home so fast at the end of this episode. I wanted her to be there longer. It does feel like, oh, more of the same for me. Though, I don't know how long, I mean, there's an implication that there's been other vampire attacks when Giles is like looking for her. So there, she may have been fighting more vampires as well who are drawn to her for whatever reason. So I feel like there's that inevitability of her destiny. Like she can't, she can't fight it. But she probably also misses her friends. I don't know. She gets to experience the death of isolation and probably would like to be back with their friends. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. I feel like, uh, you know, she was gone for three months. I mean, that's relatively right. So she left at the finals and then comes back right after school starts. Um, we don't get a sense of like how she really passed her time. I feel like in this episode, uh, we, we know that she's living kind of hand to mouth. We know that she's got a crappy job, but I guess for me, it would have been better if there was more of a sense of, like she had found a community there or she had actual friends or someone to relate to in those three months. But yeah, but I don't think that's why she's in LA. Like, no, no, no. But it would, it would help, you know, it helped give me a sense of time passing, I guess, uh, for me to, to, to kind of, um, relate, relate to her, her time, or for me to, you know, better appreciate the time she spends. It certainly doesn't do any of it. But I'm not saying it does. Um, but I think, you know, I think her, it's, it's being gone. I think it just, um, I, I do think emotionally I, I get out of it kind of just um, a little bit of grief, but it's not really cathartic grief. I think she just kind of, um, I, I think she just, she kind of just mat- maturely realizes that these are bad things that have happened and um, that that she's just she's better off going home where people really do care about her. Um, so that's my takeaway. All right. Um, speaking of things that take you away, <laughs> Travis, uh, you have some notes here about the portal. Is this the first time we have we have a, a true portal? I feel like we've had portals in other episodes. Yeah. Well, it's our third portal to a hell, and the right. So like the, so the, the other dis- a third hell, you know. So it's like, um, I actually have a whole theory that I want to get into because like usually opening up a gateway takes like a tremendous amount of sacrifice and energy, right? But this one is relatively stable. And my theory is that it's because this hell dimension is just like a pocket dimension and all we see of the dimension is actually as big as it gets. So that's why it's like takes less energy. Um, And that's why the demons in it are more human-like than like the hell creature that spawns from the hell mouth. Like, cause it's um, just a dimension that's like similar to our own, except for the, like, it's just like in that Doctor Who episode that Neil Gaiman wrote, where he talks about like little bubble dimensions hanging on to a larger dimension. Like that's just all it is. And uh, 
So that's why it can remain stable instead of being like this giant sacrifice to open, which is the normal deal with portals. I'll buy that. So we had one portal at the end of season one, right? That's where that, that crazy monster came from. Yeah, the Hellmouth. Hellmouth portal. Then we had, of course, the portal with uh, where Angel gets sent to hell. Yeah, the mouth to hell. Yeah. Um, but other port- I thought we had more portal stuff. Because I was really excited because I'm like, this is the first. Oh, maybe they just brought it up. They just talked about portals. And I was like, foreshadowing? I should really look this up. You really should. I think it's important that we do the account, the real accounting on uh, how many portals we've seen. And yeah, what, well, I think it's it's just a big Whedon like thing that he likes, like dimension holes, right? It's in like Avengers, Avengers movie, yeah, yeah. Like, it's just a major plot device he uses a lot. Well, uh, Travis wanted to bring up the callback to Inca Mummy Girl, but now I think he might be. Uh, <laughs> in a Google hole trying to figure out the uh, it existence of portals. Crudin references stuff that she wasn't really a part of. That's pretty fun. No, that is great. That is yeah. great. I just, I just didn't yeah. know if you were starting your uh, portal search quest right now. It kind of looked like you were. Didn't want to disturb you. All right. Uh, Dennis, you want to talk about Buffy being under bad undercover? Yeah, she's just consistently bad at it. It's really funny. Well, she mentions um, that, but what what was the other... Oh, when the longshoreman outfit? Is that what you're thinking of? Or? <laughs> yeah, the longshoreman outfit. Um, just any time in the last two seasons, she's tried to, like, sneak around or anything. She's always bad at it. Uh, this episode, she gets to do it twice. She's, like, bad with the undercover with the blood bank and then is bad trying to convince Ken. She's got that great line about, like, I just woke up and I was like, hey, what's with all the sin? <laughs> I, I love the blood bank confrontation because the nurse or whatever is, is like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm breaking in and, you know, it's looking through your shit and then just rips yeah. the phone off the wall. It's just like awesome brute force. Yeah. And it's, it's a great also like, you know, cause when she's Anne, she like doesn't respond to like, she gets slapped in the ass and doesn't respond. Like it's like these little bits of becoming Buffy again. Right. Is like using her brute force to tear things apart. Uh, I want to know what that nurse. Well, I want to know what that nurse was getting uh, in return for the names of the blood donors that seemed healthy. That seems like a super dubious thing to give someone. <laughs> so, like, I want to know which blood donors seem healthy. Seems, you know. Wasn't she just getting a couple hundred bucks? She said, "Like, oh, did little... she say she was being paid? Is that it? Is that I'm easy? Sure, she was getting paid. I thought she was just getting like two hundred bucks a name or something. Oh, so the demons just pay cash? Oh, that's kind of disappointing. Yeah, I would. I, I mean, I kind of think that these demons are running like just a sweatshop. I think they're very like in it for the money, right? Well, so I have some questions about this because I, I really feel like the demons are not making the best use they could of their like weird time portal, like. Just think about, like, what if you just ran a server farm down there and all of your computers are, you know, hundreds of times faster and you ship data back up through the portal, right? That, you, yeah. You make more money doing that. Or, like, what if you just, like, put a barrel of whiskey down there and aged it? You'd, uh, that would work. Or, like, cheese. So I, I think we just need to talk cheese. about how the portal works because I think, like, my version of how this portal works is not the same as yours. Okay. So what? from what I understand, how can it be different? Yeah. So from the way I understand, in the in the demon dimension, you can live your whole life. Many years will pass, um, but fifty years may pass in the port in, in that world. But then when you come back to Earth, only a day has passed. 
Right. It's so a, you, it's a hundred. So you take a barrel of whiskey. You yeah, buy, yeah. It's a hundred years a for a day, day is what Caddy yeah. called it. Yeah. You put a barrel of you take a barrel of whiskey. You put it in the barrel today. Right. You throw it down yeah, yeah. there. You could do that. Yeah, you could do that. You huh? wait a hundred years down there with it, or you Just don't wait, wait with it, and then you pull it back out, and it's the next day you got a hundred year old whiskey. I think that's a great deal. Yeah, yeah, you could do it with that. that what works. if you get stuck like halfway through the portal, and like your legs age really fast, and but the rest of your body doesn't. So, and, or like you just like, you take a computer and you lower it into there with like, you know, some, uh, some ethernet cable going back up and you've got like the world's fastest computer. Yeah, I can dig that. I, I like you're just using this amazing technology to age foods and to make computers faster. <laughs> I mean, those I are the things like, that I want to do. <laughs> Buffy and Lily have like, were down there for such a short period of time that they literally could have like, like but bumped into each other, bumped into themselves as they came out. Oh, yeah. Why didn't that happen? That's true. Because <laughs> they were only down there for, like, a split second. Like, the time, like, Buffy pops back up, we see her legs go down. You know? Yeah. That's a really good point. Oh, that's kind of that's trippy. Do they, do, they don't show it like that, though. No, not at all. But that's how they probably should. Yeah, I was curious about the, I mean, I asked this later, but I was curious about how time works back in that hell. Because, like, you know, they... If it if it's a hundred years as it feels like, then yeah, I think Dennis is totally right about that. Uh, anyway, oh man, there's so many things you could do uh, with that. They're really not making the most of it, unless I mean, it seems like they are really mainly in it for the torture and less for the economics. <laughs> I, I think that they are building something. We just don't we don't see what their product line is. So I was right? watching. I was watching all the work that was doing. There's a lot of rock carrying and a lot mm-hmm. of like hitting things, hammering things over anvils, but none of the metal they were hammering was hot. It was just... Maybe they're expanding the universe. Oh. Maybe they're working at digging a hole into, like, the dimension. Oh, okay. It's sort of like Minecraft, only you really have to do it all. Yeah. All right. But then uh, why I, the I... anvil part of it? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree, John. They're mainly into it for the torture. They're not. In, they're not expanding the universe. This is just to torture humans. They don't have a plan other than that. <laughs> and they're, they're not. They're not generating any energy from it. They're just. They don't like people. <laughs> and this is their people hate factory. I mean, it seems to be a good. If you really hate people, it seems to be a good way to to get get that done. Uh, I also. I I like you know the whole thing with like. You know, the representation of, like, homeless people, like, become anonymous and stuff. So, within the Buffyverse, homeless people yell, literally yell, I am no one! <laughs> right? Because, like, that's... I don't know. I just like how blatant everything is in the Buffyverse. Uh, yeah. And then you find out why. It's because of the drill sergeant torturing people. But, like, um, just... <laughs> anyway. Do you want to talk about the design of the monsters? You have a big note here about that. Uh, yeah. Um, I said that what Ken looks a little like Freddy Krueger, but it's like a combo of both like Freddy's dead and new nightmare Freddy. Um, like the first time you see him, I think he looks pretty cool when he pulls the mask off and then you get more, a look out of him. And for some reason, like the big scar in his head is like a reverse question mark. And you're like, you actually look kind of dumb. He's weirdly in charge, but he's like the most human looking outside the skin. But that drill sergeant is so fucking dope looking. I described him as being, um, if the aliens from They Live were trying to imitate humans, but they were learning from Leatherface, it's like, <laughs> this is how humans look. Uh, like, they're just totally gross. Um, uh, I think that they must be like, I mean, but it's weird because they don't look like, they look like 
fucked up human creatures. They don't look like they're something else, right? I think um, your Texas Chainsaw They Live crossover has legs, Dennis. <laughs> all right, we'll work at it. I just like, they totally bungle what humans look like because all they've ever met is Leatherface and the like Sawyer family. <laughs> I just can't get over how much that guy's head looks like a football. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> Him and football Frankenstein can hang out. Uh, I also wanted to say that... Uh, I think Cordelia would have been stabbed by Xander's stake when she falls on top of him during that scene. By his wooden stake. Yeah. Totally. Um, do you want to talk about communist Buffy as well? <laughs> I do. She uh, uh, forms a glorious revolution. Um, just because the whole like icon is like she's got like a hammer and a sickle at some point. And just, I mean, that's got to be blatant, right? And she's leading this, like, workers' revolution. Um, that's got to be a purpose. She's leading this it, workers' yeah. revolution through the factory. Uh, and it leads to, like, a really dope shot, which we then see for the next, like, three years, right? Uh, in the opening credits. Um, yeah, does anyone... About that. Yeah. So it's, like, it's an iconic shot from the, from yeah. the credits. Yeah, really dope <laughs> shot. Season three, episode one, and... Uh, I also really like Buffy um, reclaiming her name when, you know, just, it's a dramatic moment. It's cool. When they're like, I'm no one, I'm no one. And she's like, I'm Buffy, the vampire slayer. And you are. Um, <laughs> although it's like also really similar to, it's like the same sentiment really of like the last episode where Angel's like, you have no friends, you have no weapons. What have you got? And she goes, I have me, right? This is like, her doing the same thing one episode later, reclaiming herself. Totally. Mike, did you notice the hammer and sickle thing? Yeah, but I didn't, uh, it, it didn't feel particularly exciting. I mean, it was cool. It was cool. Like it felt very heavy handed, like Dennis is yeah. saying. So like, I didn't, I didn't think to like call it out, but like that scene feels pretty heavy handed. I like, I like the weirdness of it. I was it was like a wonderful surprise to see this huge factory <laughs> underground. Like, I didn't know they could have gone anywhere with this. So it's like, oh, there's a fucking weird factory. This is like very goth industrial world here. It felt very 90s, like 90s hell. I feel like it probably was a tool video concept as well. It was fun. Oh, totally. Um, the choreography I, was good. Yeah, I looked up that that sickle thing. It's, uh, it's actually uh, something called a hungamunga which is uh, an African throwing sword. You're actually meant to throw those at people. Oh, well, she does throw it at a demon. Does she? Okay, well, then she's using it right. Also, hunger he, when, she, when she throws it, I'm like, why'd you throw that away? <laughs> but apparently, she should have. Hunger monkey. I would like to say that Buffy's apartment that she's so disdainful of is actually about the size of my apartment and nicer than my apartment. Yeah, so in that first shot, I thought the sink was in the room. I thought, like, that's all it was. But then when she actually shows it to Anne, she has a kitchen. Like, it's a lot larger than I thought. Yeah, I agree. I was totally misled by that opening shot about what this apartment was. Yeah. TV's not capable of showing uh, small apartments. Doesn't know how. 
I mean, for practical reasons, <laughs> yeah, it's so impractical to get like everything we shot in a super wide lens. Or something. <laughs> I mean, that's how uh, the the realtor shows you the or the landlord shows it to you on Craigslist with the they get like the fisheye lens out to shoot the pictures of the apartment. Yeah. I like it when that's really blatant when the like yeah. warp is really hardcore. You're like, uh, I get what this really looks like. <laughs> I, I see that particularly on Airbnbs when you're like looking at, you know, places you might stay or whatever. That's when you're, it's, it's a, like, there'll be a shot and you're like, Oh, what a nice spot. And then all the reviews will be like, yep. place is smaller than advertised. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, cause it's just the one, one room in somebody's house. I'm going to, I'm going to start doing Airbnb. And right after that, I'm going to shoot a skate video. <laughs> um, Travis noticed that uh, in the hell dimension, they left some people behind. Yeah, like a shit ton of people. <laughs> yeah, like a tragedy amount. I mean, it's was, it was crazy. I mean, someone should do some fan fiction about those poor saps. And they, yeah, they live out a hundred years trapped. Why <laughs> is the demons? Was it? Like, there's like no mention. Like, oh man, I feel so bad. There's no acknowledgement that no one else freaking got out. What if like the next day Buffy is like, oh shit, I should have saved those people. Oh like, well, it's been a hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> like, too late. It's too late. <laughs> I like I guess in fairness they didn't know that it was going to get bricked up they might have been planning to go back for them uh I noticed they must be bringing people down there in batches because there's nobody who appears to be older than 30 down there yeah oh yeah it's probably a batch situation yeah I mean it takes they're well they're only searching for like the like homeless youth right? right and then you get like one batch a day and then they're like a hundred when you bring them back out, uh, like yeah. But the the curve on the productivity must be like really declined towards the end of that. You know, like when they get when your entire workforce is in their like their late seventies. It's like ah, time for some new people. <laughs> That's also, true. Like, you know, right. just imagine like if if Ken the Demon was on Earth for like two weeks. That's what twelve hundred, fourteen hundred years would pass in his demon dimension. <laughs> Oh, I'm going, you know, two weeks would pass while he's here recruiting people. It's 1,400 years. (laughs) Also, they're like their physical check to see if someone's ready for 100 years of labor is like if they've got clean blood. Like, it's a weird criteria. Like, who cares? (laughs) I mean, are they are they feeding off them, too? Is that the well, I didn't get the impression they were doing it based on the blood. I got the impression because when you when you uh, sell your blood, they give you a quick physical. Oh, okay, um, so it's uh, people who are selling their blood are low on the food chain. No one will notice them. Got it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I have done that. I've actually sold plasma before. And they, they give you a quick physical. They make sure that you're not on like any terrible drugs. They make sure you're not high that day. Hey, did you get a follow-up visit from uh, from a Ken-like character? No. You probably, you probably smartly put down some like contacts. And that's all it takes, really. Um, he will be noticed if he goes missing. Interesting <laughs> I detail. I have to check about... in with my friend Dennis every couple hours, or he calls the cops. <laughs> Interesting detail about the uh, about the, the the clinic where they 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 buy your plasma is that in the um, in the lobby they were showing the movie Megiddo, which is the um, the Left Behind sequel that has Udo Kier in it. So that Whoa. that was that was kind of weird. <laughs> That is weird. Uh, and this then this episode made Dennis tear up. Anybody else? When when uh, when Puffy comes back home to mom? No, I did a little. All right, I thank you. Home. It was nice. Surprised. It was touching. 
I don't know. Family reunions, man. It's very touching. They didn't know if they'd ever see each other again. We didn't talk about how Joyce totally blames Giles for all these problems, which is totally unfair. Dumping on him. Yeah. Do you want to get into that uh, now? Yeah, that's in the Q section, which we're about to get to. Yeah. All right, we'll just, boom, let's move along. All right. Questions for the group. We're moving on. So um, everybody go around, say, what is your made up alias in hiding name? I'm going to start with Mike. Oh, man. Uh, probably James Nile. It's my go-to made up. Nice. Name. I knew he was going to say that. I knew it. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were going to do um, Michael Moley. Too easy to catch Michael Moley, man. <laughs> All right, Dennis. Uh, I have two. Um, the joke one is uh, John St. Dennis. Um, and then the real one would be Gabriel Stafford, because I was a friend of mine in middle school, and I still know his like, uh, birth date and stuff. So it would be an Whoa. easy like, fake <laughs> to use. That's excellent. Do you know his social? I don't know his social. I'd have to make up, but... Uh... I mean, I, I think the thing you're I, supposed to do is, like, I... use a social security number of somebody who died, right? In that, what they, like, in Mad Men, and that what he does? Well, that's yeah. easier. Well, it depends how, like, how much you need to use this false identity for. Yeah. If it's just kind of a copy shop, then that would, that would suffice. What's yours? Um, it'd be probably something TJ something, because um, nobody calls me TJ. But so it's an, it, I, I would probably come up with a, a last name on the fly. But the first name would be TJ. Awesome. TJ Fly. Hey, TJ McFly. That, that's great. And I'd say no relation. And no one would get the joke anyways. <laughs> uh, John, can I guess yours? Uh, I hope you can because I, don't, I, can't have, I can't think of anything. Go ahead. Jack Andy. Yeah. yeah, sure. That can be me. Although I think that was a name was applied to me by Travis. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm, not, uh, I'm, I'm fine with it. Dave Shit-Eater Jamdis. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not Dave Shit-Eater Jamdis. I don't think I would go. I don't think. I feel like that, that one at least also... has a, a history on the internet. Like, you could look him up and be like, oh, he dates back from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, Jack Andy's good. The good lead to lead with. All right. Anybody have any good first apartment stories? That's my next question for everybody. You can know is a reasonable answer. You can be like, I have no good first apartment oh, stories. I have some crazy stories. Not an apartment. It was a room I rented. Um, uh, I lived in a, this room in a house in um, suburban. Well, it was suburban Amherst. And uh, the lady owned the house and she lived there as well. And there were two other, three other tenants in the same house. And uh, she left for a foreign country for several months and we ran out of fuel <laughs> or we ran out of oil because the house was heated with oil in the middle of winter. And so um, the house, which is a legit problem in the, in the new England uh, area, new England. Yeah. That's crazy. how we all warm up. Yeah. It's crazy that we use oil or um, I think it's just called oil, right? Heating oil. Gas. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so she was kind of, she was nice, but it was just like, where are you? You've been gone for two months. <laughs> we nobody t- knows how to like attach a new pipe. Well, nobody, nobody yeah. has like the $600 to, to pay for the, I'm sure it was yeah. more than that. But um, There was that crazy program in 2004 where Hugo Chavez wanted to um, give the finger to George Bush and uh, 
had a program uh, to provide free heating oil to poor Americans. We should take advantage of that program. Yeah. All right. It's clearly Uh, too late now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that program is, I think it's clearly expired. Um, Let's see. All right. So do you want to talk about uh, Joyce blaming Giles and whether or not you, whose side you take on this one? So Joyce says to Giles that, uh, you know, um, she's not really mad at Buffy for running away. She's mad at Giles because he's had this secret relationship with her um, and Buffy has developed into this uh, Slayer person all uh, behind her mother's back. And it's, she says it's Giles' fault. So who's, whose side do you take? Are you uh, Team Joyce or Team Giles on this one? I think even Giles is like, you know, it's reasonable for you to be upset with me, right? Like, I think it's reasonable to be like, this adult man has a, a, this gigantic relationship with my teenage daughter that I never knew about. Uh, and that's fair. But, I mean, Joyce did kick Buffy out of her house. Like, and this is like, to get to the, like, the metaphor thing and like the like real world uh, equivalent, like a lot of like LGBTQ youth do get kicked out of their house when they come out to their parents, which is what happened in the last episode. Um, and Joyce may be ready to have Buffy back, but Buffy doesn't know that. Uh, so I think it's um, like reasonable for for Joyce to be upset, but she to be upset with Giles, uh, but she also is responsible for part like is partially to blame for this, right? That's my take. No, it's good. I, I like the metaphor because Giles as an ally is interesting because he's supporting her role as a slayer, supporting her in her role or her yeah her identity. And then that strengthens her identity and allows her to act out that identity in an adult way, which, you know, makes her mom hate her because <laughs> she's not a teenager, not a teenage girl, the way that her mom wants. I mean, it's like too, too ad- having an adult in your life that can dictate the direction, it can really dictate the direction of your life because they, they want a certain reality or a certain thing to take place. And those adults have huge power in shaping your choices because you want to please them. So I think she's right to blame Giles for sure. But, you know, we watch the show from Giles's perspective more than Joyce's. So it's harder to identify with Joyce's perspective, but yeah, like I would be so suspicious of Giles. Yeah, uh, totally. As, as right? Joyce, like it's, he's a huge undue influence on her life. Uh, and like, yeah, he feels guilt. He's going to try and find Buffy. Uh, Dennis would like to know if we would, uh, if any of us would like to attend the uh, basement rave that um, <laughs> that Chantrell invites her to. You guys uh, want to go to the rave? I mean, I know we're all really tired and we just got off a big shift at the diner and stuff, but uh, instead of going home, you want to go to the rave? Yeah. Do you want to go to a basement rave? That question has exactly one answer ever. <laughs> but look, I, I don't have any money though, so I mean, maybe. Oh, it wasn't even. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I, I didn't go to a basement rave last week but i did go to the lovecraft bar in portland and i would love Ooh. to take you all there it was lovely it's an amazing Dude, I goth bar hello want to go to the lovecraft bar uh all the art it just looked like dennis did all the decor it was great is it like the sunset club yes it is like that but with better it's like better designed and might reference the sunset club is there a diego <laughs> 
I don't know what that means, John. What do you mean? Is there a Diego, <laughs> Diego from Sunset Club? At the Sunset Club, he's, there was the Diego. The, the cake, but he's worried about the rent. He's like, we got a lease. I'm his Diego. Re- his real name was like Marvin or something, but he made everyone call him Diego because it was a cool vampire name. So I don't know what your cool Lovecraftian name would be. Uh, Manuel. I, I only, I, only really racist things just popped in my head when he said Lovecraft name. I was like, well, that's a part of the Lovecraft experience is uh, yep. racism. We have a black cat in here. Guess what we call him? Oh, dear. So, all right. Um, Mike, I moved your uh, noticing here about um, the Sunnydale without Buffy over to the themes section. So, uh, uh, do you want to talk about that here? Sure. Yeah. So, the I... I really enjoy seeing the gangs attempt to slay vampires. It feels like the show, like right away I felt like the show was on fresh, like it was really fresh and it was also sure of itself about the direction the show was going to go. And it felt like, it reminded me of the eighties thing, monster squad, but more fun since the kids are older and they're teenagers. Like monster squad is tough. Cause it's like, just like stand by me. You have to identify with a younger version of yourself and it's, it's always a coming of age story. This is like, it's still a coming of age story. Cause like they're trying to work without, you know, in narrative terms to be like without their father, but it's without Buffy without like the strong warrior to like, how do they, how do they deal? And uh, I, it's just really fun. I feel like I've seen this done well in some Batman comics too. There's one uh, like legends of the dark Knight where a bunch of kids, like one of their friends is in trouble or sick or something. And they're going to go after trying to like break into Mr. Freeze's place. And like, it's like a world without Batman. Um, not intentionally. It's just the way the story is written. Batman shows like up in the end or something and writes wrongs. But I like that. I like that world a lot because it's the stakes are high. <laughs> the stakes are higher. And I feel like we all, <laughs> I feel I relate to that world as a kid. That feels like the, how the world feels to me, which is where we're in a world where, you know, your parents are there, but they're not really doing much to protect you. And so everything you're doing is much scarier and the decisions are, are scarier to make. And so I, I relate so much more to the gang on that. And so I, I like, made me like all of them so much. Nice. And I also, I like, um, now Oz is like a permanent member of the group, right? He's in the credits and everything and seeing him like function as part of the group is great. Uh, that whole thing in the beginning where he like tries to throw the stake and is like miles off. Right. <laughs> It seems like we've totally forgotten that Oz is a werewolf. It's like not relevant and not helpful. It's only relevant like, you know, three nights a month, man. <laughs> yeah, I hope that, I mean, I'm sure it'll play out. It has to. Let's go to I mean, predictions, predictions. That, that would actually be funny if like the show forgot he was a werewolf and it just like never comes up again. Yeah, so we can, uh, really quick, we can um, skip to predictions now if you guys are, if I know Mike, you're eager to go. Or we can um, talk out the stuff about um, homeless youth and how they're depicted in the show. Uh, Mike, since you're the one who has to go, which one do you want to do before you go? Uh, gosh. Um, man, I guess predictions would be great. I mean, I think we should do that. And okay. I, I say got to go. I mean, I'm going to go perform in an improv troupe uh, so on a stage. That's pretty good. I mean, that's pretty important. But you got to go. You got to go. So um, real quick uh, recap of prior predictions then, if we're doing predictions. Um, 
Mike did predict that more humans will want to be vampires. That did not happen, but we do have a revisiting with them. He also predicted there'd be more Sunset Club, which we didn't get this episode. So those things are still open, but we did touch back. We did touch base with those things. So those predictions are at least not completely crazy. Um, a similar thing that doesn't really solve a prediction, but Mike did predict that um, Buffy will never get back together with Angel except in her dreams. So she did get back together with Angel in a dream. So that part, but the actual prediction, um, we don't know if she'll never get back together with him yet. That is, uh, remains to be seen. Um, but here's, we have some actual stuff here. Um, Mike predicted that Buffy's runaway from home adventure isn't going to last very long. He gave it uh, three episodes or less. And uh, this was like, you know, 0.9 episodes that Buffy spent in L.A. So I think that one is confirmed. So that's less than three. Uh, and then right after that, um, this is uh, really, I think, just in our last episode, Mike predicted that when Buffy is in L.A. Uh, during her runaway episodes that she will run into Whistler. That clearly did not happen. Uh, there was no Whistler in this episode. As much as we all wanted to see Whistler, uh, we didn't get to see Whistler. So that one is denied. So you got uh, one confirmed, one denial from uh, today's episode. Mike, how do you feel about that? No, I'm, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised that Buffy got home so quickly. I really did think she would be gone longer than that. But I guess if the school year is going to start with the start of every season, then she's got to get back. Yeah. Since uh, this, this show is very into the school year as like, the, uh, like a narrative driving force here. School's got to start. We've got to get back to school. So, new predictions. Sure. So, I I think Whistler is going to appear again on the series. I don't think we're done with Whistler. This might be foolish, but I think... I just, I just want to predict an appearance with Whistler in Season 3. I, I mean, I thought he was going to be a more important character, the way he was set up, but Whistler's going to be back in Season 3, and he's going to bring some more new characters with him. I don't know who they are, but more people who are like him. We're going to see more Whistler types. Uh, because he can't bring Angel back. Angel's in hell. So he's got to bring some other people with him. Can you be more specific about what a Whistler type is? Like, is it, okay, you're talking okay. about like. So we haven't really set up the big bad guy for season three yet. That hasn't happened yet. So it's clearly on the horizon. It has to happen. And I don't know where it's going to come from. I'm trying to connect Whistler with it because this is exactly the way that season one and season two kind of were shaping up. Like Angel was who appeared briefly in season one became the bad guy in season two. So like, I don't know. Whistler appears to be a good guy now and I assume he's going to be a good guy, but the, the bad guy for season three is connected to Whistler is my prediction. Just like it didn't totally make sense that he was in season two for any reason, except we need some, it's like an ongoing story. So Whistler's going to bring the bad guy with him somehow, but he's, but not directly. He, I think he's going to have other good guys ish because he's a good guy, I think. And he'll bring, this is a bad prediction. Uh, <laughs> Whistler's going to appear again. He's going to bring other people with him. Whistler knows the bad guy from season three, whoever the big bad guy is. Okay. So let me get this straight. So I've got three predictions that I'm pulling out of that. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. All right. The first one is Whistler will appear in season three. Yeah. So that's one. We've got uh, Whistler will have a team of heroes slash good guys. Yeah. Just like the, the, the other Slayer, you know, there's going to okay. be another hero that helps out because the gang cannot handle a one vampire. They're going to need right. more people to help out. 
And then the third prediction is that the big bad for season three will be connected to Whistler. Is that in some prediction? way? Uh, I'm yes. I'm I'm fine with all of these. I think these are all okay. judgeable and good. Um, but one of the things that we've uh, started, I've decided that we're doing, is uh, I'm going to force you to make a prediction based on a dice roll. Uh, Mike, do you have a die handy? No. Okay. Well, that's too bad because we're still doing it. Um, I have a dice roll app I could use. Yeah, I've got one open right here. So I'm going to go ahead and click it. <laughs> Nerds. <I'm prepared. laughs> uh, so, all right. You rolled, Mike, for your own information. You rolled a two. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, Mike, here's your job. Okay. I need you to decide who is the most prevalent new character introduced this episode. Oz. He's not introduced this episode. Oh, introduced. Yes. I mean, I guess Lily is pretty prevalent. But she wasn't. I mean, unless you're counting Lily oh, as separate sure, from Chanterelle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Lily's new name, new character. She can call her now. Name. That's fine. Uh, Ken? We uh, can say, yeah, we can say Ken. Okay. Ken. All right. Now decide, Mike. Will Ken appear again? No. Ken is never <laughs> appearing again. Uh, Want to see my Gandhi impression? <laughs> All right, so I'm going to put that down. Are you sure about this one, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Ken's not appearing again. Why would he appear again? Just, what if you know, she has PTSD about a splatted head? Buffy is not going to remember Ken. Ken is not an issue. Little I know he's going to be the most important character in season three. No, Ken is <laughs> Ken's done. Season okay. three, big bad, Ken. <laughs> Old splathead. Okay. All right, so that's predictions. Um, so, Mike, uh, do you have? Do you need to go right now, or do you have time to circle back around and talk about um, homeless youth? So, the homeless youth thing. Um, this episode deals a lot with homelessness. It's how did you? Uh, Dennis asked, "How do you think it's handled?" And then I, I also like to add to that detail that it makes the people who run shelters, the people that care about homeless people, creepy. I like it. It turns yeah. into a bad guy. Um, yeah, that's a really good call, Mike. Like, and I also feel like that's a major thing in like a lot of fiction about like, like people who are either homeless or mentally disabled or like, you know, something where it's like the people who in real life are out there trying to help are like demonized, right? Like literally demonized. Um, Like it's the reason, like I know nobody watched Iron Fist, but it was the reason like I turned off Iron Fist was like in like the first episode or second, whatever he gets like put into like, a homeless shelter and they start drugging him up and it's like, Oh, it's ruining his, nobody believes his magical powers and shit. And I was like, man, this is exactly like what like people with mental disabilities think is happening. Right. Mm. That, um, yeah. And it does seem like it's like the people who are like most likely to be, to believe a literal thing about this. Right. are like being told to fear like authority figures, which like as somebody who doesn't like authority too much. Right. I like get, why you do that from a storytelling perspective, it's fun, but like it's definitely feels dangerous, right? Or at least unhealthy. Totally agree. I also noticed that they were, they really seem to be shitting on people who do faith-based work, which is, you know, like I'm not religious and I, you know, have my own obviously complaints and and problems with religion, but uh, I'm not out there helping homeless people. And there are plenty of people doing good faith-based charity work who don't deserve the ire of this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like when my brother was homeless, like the faith-based people were people I could connect with and like, you know, they would let me know when my brother was around and stuff. 
Um, and he had a lot of paranoia about that, so he didn't visit them too much. But like, yeah, those are people out there, like on the streets, like do, doing the grunt work, right? Yeah, I just wanted to call it out, like you were calling it out here. Of like, I think that it's a bad, it's a bad depiction of homelessness, and it like does a disservice to the services that benefit people who are homeless because it makes them alien to us. Like anything that does that is bad. Right. Cause like those things all thrive based on people's, you know, on our, on nonprofit status, people donating money and time and volunteer work. And like, I'm sure they're, I don't know. I mean, it's also about drugs and how drugs are bad too. And like how using drugs makes you bad, but makes us, but uh, yeah, just calling it out. Did anybody notice uh, how super white this uh, neighborhood is in LA? I mean, I don't really know what to make of that, but there is one not white person in this whole episode that I could find. Um, oh, which, yeah. I mean, I guess they're bucking a stereotype in that way, but it doesn't feel like in a good way. It really feels like erasing. Um, yeah, I, I was not, I, would, I had a problem with that. Um, I mean, one thing not to, I think you're totally right about like it being a very white area of LA. Yeah. Uh, but I will say I see a lot of like homeless white people. Like yeah, it's not to say life. that they don't it exist. Happen. It's not to say yeah. there's no such thing as, as white homeless people. It's only to say that uh, it feels like an erasure to make them all white. Yeah, especially like in California, like, right? A very right. diverse In California, state. exactly. Yeah, it did. That feels weird. And it feels like that was done on purpose on some level. And I'm, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, the alternative also would have been to have a lot of like anonymous uh, people of color in this episode who would only be portrayed as background homeless people. And that's the only time we see non-white people. Well, unless, like, like, yeah. I mean, I do think like if you're going to LA or something like make it distinct from Sunnydale, make it distinct that Sunnydale is super white. Right. Yeah. Um, and you could do that and then have like, can be portrayed by like um, a person of color also. And like right. other background characters, like people at the diner and stuff, not just homeless youth. Yeah. But um yeah, I don't think the show was thinking about that. I think the show was uh, straight up just like white, like what race blind. Yeah, yeah, I get, Yeah, I think totally agree because as much as I like that actor Ken or his name's Car, I just feel like uh, the show's been really white for a long time. Yeah, it was, it was the late '90s. It was the WB. It was, uh, I think it was a Fox production company. I mean, I don't understand how actors were chosen at that time anyways, but yeah, looking back, we can definitely see that there was not a, di- there was not a, an attempt for diversity. Yeah, totally. And that, and that's of course the ongoing battle for the television. And the te- apparently the television industry now is doing a really good job of diversity compared to the movie industry um, as evidenced by the Emmys versus the Oscars. So that's right. cool. So, um, so definitely progress has been made, but this is definitely back in that era of um, ultra, ultra white all, or all white sort of um, protagonists and supporting actors. And yeah. 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 It's that point of view of like that the white character is like the normal. Yeah. Well, it's right. that point of view where, you know, there was always 20 to 30% of the U S population was minority back then. And now it's or non-white non-white and then i think now it's closer to 40 to 50 percent is non-white 
And then in 10 years, 60% of the U.S. population will be non-white, but it's underrepresented, way more back then. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting call that, that we were that watching it 20 years after the fact. You'll be like, oh, I forgot how underrepresented minorities were. On television. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I also had another thing about the L.A. streets I forgot earlier. Is I think some of the shots, some of the like second unit shots, are those used on the credits for Angel? One of the locations looked really familiar. Buffy's apartment looking out over the apartment looked really familiar. I couldn't place it. There was like a specific shot of like an a alley. homeless guy like on the streets that I think is in like the Angel, like at least season one credits. I don't know. I'll have to rewatch season one, sounds like. What a burden for you. Oh, no. <laughs> the episodes. Does it maybe um, show up in the credit, in this opening credits on the final episode of season one of Angel? You never know. Yeah. Until you rewatch it. All right. Uh, Dennis, do you want to talk about um, Buffy and literalness? Oh, I was just saying, like, this, so, this show is so funny with it's, like, um, taking its metaphors so literally, right? And that, like, Buffy, at the end of season two, sends her boyfriend to hell. And like part of her processing that grief is that she literally goes to hell also. Like, I don't know. It's just funny to me how like, uh, I mean, it's a thing I like about this show, but how like um, they never met a metaphor they couldn't just hit with a hammer, right? Yeah. I also love that about Buffy. That is, that is, that is a wonderful thing about it. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. You want to do a kill count, Dennis? Yeah, this episode's kill count is a little hard because, strictly speaking, one human, one vampire, and I think three demons die. But, like, who knows how many humans, like, there was at least one other homeless woman going, like, I'm no one. And who knows how many got locked up in, like, the sped-up dimension for eternity. So, from that one, one, three-ish, and even that's a little, like, I'm... I don't know how many people she demons she really killed in her fight and versus knocked out. I'm going to exaggerate it to like actually a hundred humans and a hundred demons. All um, right. So very high kill count this episode. Kill count like, a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, uh, do you have any uh, good recommendations for us? Yeah. You know what? I'm not doing any deep cuts for this. I think this episode both like visually and like thematically is so similar to the they live. Like you just have to like call that they live. Um, like especially the opening shot where it's the opening of they live when it's clearly about like the economic crisis causing homelessness and stuff. And right. then that's caused by fucking monsters <laughs> with like creature face, you know? Um, and I also, I think I might've already recommended this on the show a couple times, but Hellbound, AKA Hellraiser two. Cause like they go into hell in that movie. And it's got a bunch of Cenobites, which are pretty similar to the like demons we see this episode. Yeah, I thought about that too. Um, so, I also, yeah. Football yeah, head so no seems like cuts. it could be a Cenobite. Yeah. Like it's like pinhead yeah, totally. and also football face. Like, <laughs> uh, so those are my my so, recs. I have I have one recommendation. Of course, it's um, season one, episode ten of Grimm has kind of a similar type theme where demons are abducting like humans and homeless humans as well. And they're not really demons. They're the um, sort of the mystical creatures that are in the Grimm series, but uh, it's similar enough in scope. So organ grinder. Very good. Mm, That's a good name. It's a good episode. It's a great episode actually. 
You know, thinking about uh, Hellraiser, though, there is nothing sexy about these demons. Like, with Hellraiser, it's always like, oh, you'll be tortured forever, but in a sexy way. Like, yeah. But these guys, are, <laughs> these guys are just like, no, we're going to beat you with a mace in the head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I don't find Ken particularly sexy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, well... Uh, Thanks a lot for listening to this podcast. You can find us at BuffyVirgin.com. We're on Instagram at, what is it, Dennis? Uh, Buffy Virgin. And we're on Twitter at Buffy Virgin Pod. And we're on Facebook somewhere. Yeah, it's just Buffy Virgin. Buffy Virgin. Yep. All right. Awesome. Chat us up. Bleep, blop, bloop.